Good morning. People waved back this morning. Yay. <laughs> We'd like to welcome you here to the Houghton Wesleyan Church. Um, please stand and join us as we worship together and as we see all that God has to teach us today through our worship of him and through hearing his word. So 
give you the highest praise. We want to offer you our lives. You've done so much for us and we come today in worship and gratitude and we ask that through your presence here with us, you would speak deeply into our souls, that our worship would not just please you, but would make us more and more like you. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Before you're seated, take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. As we come together in worship today, there are some things that are in your bulletin about the life of the church. There's a blue insert about our missions weekend, and I hope you'll be a part of that. Of course, next Sunday morning, uh, Rich Avery from uh, Wesleyan Native Ministries will be sharing, and, uh, but there'll be there's things happening on Saturday, Sunday night, 
a variety of things. We'd love to have you be a part of those. Uh, Saturday morning, we're having a brunch up at the college. You can sign up for that either this morning or send a note to the church or contact us. We'll make sure you uh, have your reservation for that. Just make uh, note that today uh, there's a change in the Koinonia schedule. We'll be meeting at 5.30 this afternoon instead of 7 at the regular time. So just note that Koinonia is at 5.30. And next Sunday when we come together for worship, 8.29, 40, and 11 o'clock. I'm also hosting a membership class on Monday the 27th. If you're interested in knowing more about this church or you'd like to be you're interested in knowing more about joining the church, love to have you come. Just you know, let me know and we will have materials for you. There are a lot of things to uh, be praying about, uh, things that are in the bulletin, and there are other things as well. We heard yesterday that uh, a Samaritan's Purse Bible College was bombed in Sudan. I don't know anything more about the details of it than that, but we certainly want to pray for our brothers and sisters there, as well as our brothers and sisters who are going through all kinds of things throughout the world. And uh, also, uh, a former pastor in our district, Eldon Simon, uh, died yesterday, and his funeral will be here at our church Wednesday morning at 11. The visitation will be in uh, Fillmore at the funeral home 2 to 4 and 7 to 9. We have uh, been blessed so much by God. He just does so much for us. And we have the opportunity now in a tangible way to give back to God from the ways he's blessed us. And uh, I'm going to ask the ushers to come and assist us as we give.
We can pray in all kinds of positions. Pray standing, sitting, laying prostrate on the floor, kneeling. They all, all those physical ways in which we offer prayers can say something about our prayers. As we pray today, if you'd like to remain in your seat and sit, I invite you to do that. If you'd like to come to the altar and kneel, I invite you to do that as we join together in prayer. Father, we acknowledge this morning how good you are to us. You blessed us. And we thank you. You've surrounded us with so much. And above all, you've placed hope in our hearts through Christ. Father, as we recognize the truth of your nature, we also recognize the many times that in spite of your goodness... We have been selfish and thoughtless, even rebellious. In this moment of silence, hear our prayer of repentance and whisper to us words of forgiveness. Father, we pray not only for ourselves, but in mercy we ask that you would minister in every home and every person where there is sickness and pain, suffering and grief. Whether the the issue is something at work, school, in the church, in our homes. In this moment of silence, hear our prayers of intercession And bring healing and grace to bear upon each need. Father, we pray for the world you've created. So much in this world that frightens us, that disturbs us. We think about people who live with continual threat of war. Bombs going off in a market. Troops entering a city. We think of people who People you've created in love who are trafficked. People who are enslaved. People living in abject poverty. People living without food or water. Lord, hear our prayers in this moment of silence for our world with such great need.
Father, we pray that you would hear every prayer of our hearts this morning as we know you do. We ask that you would give us confidence in you. We pray that you would open our eyes that we might see like you see. Open our ears that we might hear as you hear. Open our minds that we would think as you think. And our hearts as we would love as you love. Thank you for hearing all of our prayers today. And thank you for answering them in your time, in your way, and in your grace. We ask all of these things. We ask all of these things through the grace and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Today's scripture reading is Matthew 25, verses 1 through 30, and I invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. 
So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not got scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord.
Father, we praise you today for the gift of your Son. We ask that you would help us to understand more of your love for us and your grace in our lives and that we might respond to that as you called us. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Please be seated. A few months ago, there was an article in Newsweek magazine about, it was actually the cover, Armageddon. And uh, the, the question was about what's happening in the world. Natural disasters, wars, the, the weather. I mean, you know, it's February 5th in Houghton. And it's, you know, I can look out and I don't see any snow on the ground. I'm, I don't, in all the 16 years we've lived here, I have never had that experience before. In fact, the number of people have been asking me lately, so what do you think this is about? I don't know. But when you have these kinds of things that happen, when the stuff is going on in the world the way it is, we begin thinking a little bit more about, are we in the last days? Is the time, are we at the time when Jesus is going to re- come back, when, when the, the, the prophecies of Scripture begin to, to unfold before our eyes? And we don't know. The thing that I find is whenever the discussion of, of the last days or the end times come up, <clears throat> our most common question and our focus is almost always on when. When is this going to happen? When will this take place? And through the centuries, we've had people who have made declarations and said, I know when. I mean, just last spring, we had an I know when. And we're enamored with knowing when. But it's not just about our... We're not the only ones who are asking that question. It's something that not only people through the centuries, but all the way back to the time of Christ are asking that question. The beginning of Matthew 24, the chapter right before what we just read, Jesus and his disciples are coming out of the temple, and more than likely, this is... On the week of Jesus' death. It's the last week of Jesus' life. He's in Jerusalem with his disciples. They've been in the, in the temple. And they come out and the disciples are enamored with the size of the temple. And, and, it, and it is gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's an amazing structure. And they say to Jesus, isn't this something else? Look at these stones. And Jesus says, the day is coming when there won't be one stone laid upon another of this temple. And what's the disciples' question? When is this going to happen? What will be the sign that will know it's coming? And the next, virtually the rest of chapter 24 is Jesus telling them, here are some signs. Natural disasters, war, persecution, famine, drought. The weather will change. People will begin falling away from the faith. There will be all kinds of these things happening But nevertheless, he doesn't say it's on this day. In fact, he says in different places in this, in chapter 24, verse 36 says, be ready because you don't know the day or the hour. Verse 42 says, uh, be ready because nobody knows. 
Verse 44 says, just get ready because no one's going to tell you when it is. And he keep, his message keeps going through. Nobody knows, nobody knows, nobody knows. And what you find Jesus, you discover that Jesus is trying to say to them is that the real question is not when. The real question is how. The question's not, when will it happen? The question is, how will you be when it does happen? What will you be like when it happens? Will you be ready when that day arrives? And I can almost envision the disciples looking at Jesus and saying, what do you mean by getting ready? How do we know if we're ready? What does that look like? And Jesus says to them, let me tell you a story. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding. And there were 10 virgins or 10 bridesmaids. And, and, he, and what we have to understand is they did weddings differently than we do weddings. Back in first century Palestine, they would say, okay, it's going to be on this day, but the time was left open. And, and there was this ritual of the bridesmaids going to the bride's house and they would wait. And they would wait for the groom and the groomsmen to come to the house and to get them. And when the groomsmen and, and the groom and the groomsmen came to get them, they would then parade through the streets of the city and usually end up at the groom's house where they would have the wedding and the big feast and the celebration. Now, as you know, grooms might be want to do, they like sort of playing a cat and mouse game with the bride and the bridesmaids. Can we can we surprise them about when we're coming? And so they would typically wait as long as possible. And often these processions were through the, the streets of the city at night. And often that's when they were expecting to come at night, after the day's work was done. And the way that people knew and the way that the, the sort of the, the ticket that you had, the entry into the wedding party that you were supposed to be a part of this is your lamp. And it wasn't like a you know, lantern we might think of now. It was a little bit different. It was a special lamp for these occasions. had a little dome over it. And, and when you carried the lamp, that meant you were a part of the wedding procession. And that was sort of your ticket into the, into the wedding itself and the feast. And Jesus says, as these bridesmaids come together, there's ten of them. And five of them he calls wise and five of them he calls foolish. The word in Greek for foolish is moros. A form of that is moron. And that's Jesus saying, you have wise and you have morons. Why are they wise and why are they foolish? Because the ones that are wise realize that we don't know when the groom's going to come, so we need to bring extra oil for our lamp so it doesn't go out. And the foolish say, I'll take, we'll take our chances. And don't bring any extra oil. And when the groom arrives... After they, they've fallen asleep, the groom arrives, here he is, and they trim their lamps, they turn them up, they're ready to go, and the five foolish say, we don't have enough oil. They say, give us some oil. And they say, no, we don't have enough. Go get some yourself. And by the time they get back, the procession is completed, and they're in the wedding. So I suspect they must live in a place kind of like Houghton, where, you know, you can't just run down to the, run, run down the block to get what you need for oil. 
And when they arrive, they knock on the door, let us in. And the, and the groom says, I don't know you. You're out. And the moral of the story is, if you want to be rewarded by God, be sensible. Be prudent. Be cautious about making sure you're prepared. But that's not all Jesus has to say. Let me tell you another story. This one's about a, a very wealthy man who's getting ready to go on a long journey. And he has three servants. And he entrusts everything he has to these three servants. Estimates are that he probably gives them close to $2 million. And we don't know exactly what a talent is. It's some either money or property, something. You know, if you, you saw the translation there was bags of gold, that might have been the case. But there was a lot. And he says, here you go, I'm going on the journey. And two of the servants take what they have and they invest it. And more than likely, they invested in one of those high-risk, high-reward kind of investments. You don't get double back on your money if you don't take a significant amount of risk. Some people speculate that maybe they started a business. Starting a business can be really volatile. You never know what's going to happen. It, all, it's going, all it would take is one bad crop. All it would take is, is a season of bad weather. All it would take is a turn in the economy and your business is sunk. It's a huge risk that they take. The other guy takes his and buries it in the ground in his backyard. And sometime later when the master comes back, he says, okay, guys, what do you got? And the first two come and say, you gave us five, you gave us two, we doubled it. And the master says, you guys are awesome. That's so great. I, I want to be in a closer relationship with you. Come on. The third guy comes up and says, you know, master, I know what you're like and you're tough. And so I was afraid that I would lose it. So I buried it in the ground. So here it is. I didn't gain any more, but I didn't lose it. And the master says, you wicked, lazy servant. Throw the guy out. Get rid of him. I don't want to see him. And the moral of that story is, if you want to be rewarded by God, take risks. Be reckless. Now, here's the paradox of these two stories. On the one hand, you have bridesmaids who play it safe and are rewarded... And other bridesmaids who play fast and loose with their oil and are punished. And then you have a servant who plays it safe and he's punished. And other servants who play fast and loose with their talents and they're rewarded. And we come back again to this idea of our faith being woven into a paradox. A tension of two extremes. Now, it seems to me that underlying this story and underlying the responses in these stories, both of them, is their image in our image of God. When Adam and Eve are created, they have a perfect image of God. When God speaks, they understand him perfectly. When God does something, they understand exactly what he means. Their, Their understanding of God is perfect. But as soon as sin enters the world, we start living with damaged receptors. And our ability to understand God 
is twisted and turned and, and, and out of whack, damaged. And now when God speaks, we misinterpret it. We misunderstand. We get confused. And our image of God becomes twisted by our sin, by the sins that people do against us, by living in this sinful fallen world. And we all wrestle with a damaged, false view of God. And I think that's what's going on here in these two stories. My mind went back to the first chapter of John's gospel. Where he says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And John says, if you want to understand who Jesus is, he is from the father, full of grace and truth. Because the father is full of grace and truth. And in both of these stories, you see false Images and false understandings of God who is full of grace and truth. In the first story, you have bridesmaids who can't quite believe that God is full of truth. And that being full of truth means that he's going to hold us accountable for our preparation. That we're going to be, that we're going to be held accountable for what we do and, and, and how we live. I think when we start talking about that idea of, of being accountable and believing that God is who he says he is, you see in the bridesmaids really an unwillingness to take God seriously. Something in them believes that whether we have oil or not, whether our lamps are burning or not, God's going to let us in. It doesn't matter. He'll, he'll, he'll say, oh, don't worry about it. And Jesus says, that's a warped view of God. God holds us accountable, whether we like it or not. Obviously, the bride, these bridesmaids who don't bring oil don't really care that much about the groom or the bride. Because if they did, they would have taken the time to get the oil they needed. Because it's not like they didn't know he might be long coming. They just decided, we'll take our chances. And why would you take your chances? Because... Being with the groom just isn't all that important. So how do we, how do, so where do we focus this sense of caution, sensibility, and prudence? I think it's how we develop our hearts. It's, it's embracing the spiritual disciplines and the means of grace so that we begin to see as God sees and hear as God hears. And our hearts begin to, to be what God created them to be. So we talk about things like prayer and reading the scriptures and being connected to one another in the body of Christ and being transparent with each other and being accountable with each other. If we really are are consciously, if if the master is important to us, we do these things. If the master is important to us, we spend time with him. We pray If we know the master is communicating his truth to us through his word, we spend time in the word. If we know that God has designed the church so that we can be challenged and encouraged and grow in our faith, we connect with the church. We know that accountability will make us and help make us into the people God created us to be. We become accountable to people. And the reason we don't 
is because somewhere deep inside of us, we have come to believe that God really isn't going to hold us accountable. That how we develop and what we develop in our hearts just isn't all that important to us. And it comes down to how we spend our time. All of us have leisure time. All of us have discretionary time. Now, there are things about our days that we cannot control, but we have a lot of discretionary time. Where does that time go? What percentage of that time is spent developing our hearts to be like Christ, engaging ourselves in prayer, engaging ourselves in the scriptures, meditating and learning and studying? How much of that time goes to connecting with other believers? It says a lot about how important the master is to us. The servant who hides his talent in the ground has a false view of the master that is buried in fear. He's so afraid of the master. He's actually, he's not just afraid of the master. He's afraid of how the master is going to respond. He's afraid that if he risks what the master is giving him and he loses it, that the master won't respond with grace, but he'll bring the hammer down on him. Ever feel that way about God? I do. I think that's one of the reasons why we're so hesitant to risk is because we're afraid, what if we mess up? What if it doesn't turn out the way it's supposed to? God is going to be so angry with us. And so we settle for caution. And all the while, God is saying, you've missed the point. I'm full of grace. And the whole point is not how successful your risk ends up being. It's the fact that you risk. Because we can't do anything about how it turns out. That's up to God. Our calling is to risk. And how do we risk? Again, I think one of the things is prayer. Do we pray with a safety net? Or do we just pray with boldness and confidence? Trusting God with leaps of faith. Do we ask God for things that are so far beyond what we could imagine happening, but we do it because we believe it's about what God wants to do, not what we can do? How about, be, how about what we do with our resources? Are we generous in a way that takes, that, that it, it takes faith to, to see it fulfilled? It's one of the reasons we've done this faith promise thing is because we want to be challenged to, to trust God for more than what we could just do ourselves. How about love? Are we willing to risk love? You know, it's hard for us to, to risk love because what if we're rejected? What if the love isn't returned? If you've ever said to someone or even contemplated saying to someone, I love you, in preparation for saying that, what's in the back of your mind? I sure hope they say that back to me. Right? And if you're not sure, you tend to not say it. I mean, I'll be honest with you. When I asked Cindy to marry me, I was waiting. I waited until I was pretty sure she was going to say yes. You know, you never know about these things. But I was hoping that I'd gotten to the place where I thought, okay, I didn't want, I, I didn't want to be rejected. 
See, here, here's the thing that we forget. The one who's asking us to risk is the greatest risk taker that's ever been. God's all about risking. You look at this parable, the master risks more than any of the servants do. He gives them everything. And he has no idea what they're going to do with it. And God is the great risk taker of the universe. He creates us with free will, knowing full well we're going to reject him. He makes covenant with the Israelites, knowing full well they're going to run off and worship other gods. And he sends Jesus Christ into the world, knowing that we're going to put him on a cross. But he does it anyway, because we're worth it. That's why I I cannot believe in the doctrine of limited atonement. There's a theology that says that that the cross is so so special and and, and so wonderful and so precious that Christ only dies for the people who are going to respond positively to him. But that doesn't seem to fit the the actions of God through through history, especially what we read in Scripture, because God is continually risking And people are continually rejecting him, and he just keeps on risking. And he's calling us to risk and to see him in a different light. It comes back to this tension. This tension of what I call godly prudence or godly caution and and godly risk-taking or godly recklessness. And, And it is a tension you know, you, you can have, you can be bad caution and good caution. You know, when we, you know, we grow up, our, our parents teach us good caution, right? You know, look both ways before you cross the street. Don't run with scissors in the house. You know, if you keep your eyes like that, they're going to stick that way, right? We, we get all these things that our parents tell us to be cautious about, and, and that's good. There's good caution and bad caution, and there's good risk and bad risk. I was at Wegmans a week or so ago, and they were handing out samples. And, you know, we go shopping, usually to Rochester. You know, we try to hit Sam's Club at just the right time so they have all the samples out there. And that way I don't have to buy lunch. Kind of cheap that way. So we go into Wegmans, and they had these samples. It was chips and salsa. And I walked up to the table, and the woman said, would you like a sample? I said, sure. And uh, she said, well, what kind of salsa would you like, mild, medium, or hot? And I looked at it and I thought, um, I'll go with the medium. And she said to me, not much of a risk taker, huh? This sermon was in the back of my mind when she said that to me. I took the hot. Some risks are unwise. I'm just going to tell you right now. Sometimes it's not the right thing to do. I suspect for most of us, our problem is not that, that, we are, that we take too many risks. I think it's probably for most of us that we're too cautious. And it creates an atmosphere in which we live far below God's plans for us. You know, God has huge plans for our lives. God thinks big and we tend to think small. And we live so far below what God wants to do in us and through us and in what he wants to make us to be. And I keep going back to the, what F.B. Meyer, a pastor from years, generations ago, said that the greatest disappointment in heaven, if there can be disappointments in heaven, is when we come to understand 
all that God wanted to do in our lives if we would have let him. But we live so far short because we don't want to risk. A.W. Tozer talked about four, four ideas about living in the blessing of Christ. And he said, you, you'll get nothing unless you go for it. And you'll get as much as you insist on having. And you'll get as little as you're satisfied with. And then he said, you now have as much of the blessing and as much of Christ as you really want. That's convicting to me. And God who takes risks with us is calling us to be risk takers. But it's not about what we think. It's not about what we say we believe. It's how we live. It's what we do. That's what proves what's really going on inside of us, what's important to us, what's the focus of our hearts. I suspect most of you, at least a lot of you, have seen the movie Batman Begins. You know, it came out in 2005, Christian Bale and Katie Holmes, the two stars of that movie. And if you haven't seen it, uh, Christian Bale plays Bruce Wayne slash Batman. And um, he, they, Katie Holmes and he are good friends as growing up childhood friends. And she plays the part of Rachel Dawes. And the, as they grow older, they... they go apart and, and Bruce Wayne lives all over the world doing all kinds of crazy things. She stays in the city of Gotham and becomes assistant district attorney. And Gotham has become this, this vile, evil place that's run by crime lords. And she's trying to make a difference, but she's not making much progress. And Bruce Wayne comes back and finds the state of the city and he's trying to think of what he might do and this whole Batman idea is starting to develop in his mind. And, but he's also wrestling with, with how he should live his life and he's still living, flaunting his wealth and living with a lot of frivolity. And, and one of those days, she witnesses this. And they happen to pass each other in a hotel after she's seen what's going on and he can tell that she's disappointed with some of the choices he's making. And he says to her, Rachel, all of this... It's, all this is, it's, it's not really me. Inside, inside, I, I am more. And she says, Bruce, you may still, you may still be that great kid that you used to be. But it's, it's not who you are underneath. It's what you do that defines you. And God is asking us to look at what we do. Because what we do is simply a reflection of who we are. Are we spending time developing our hearts? Are we taking actions of risk 
and even recklessness. And you might say, I don't like the word reckless, but I'm just trying to help us move past our small little vision of risk-taking. Where's our time going? Where are our efforts going? What are we doing about being ready whenever Christ returns? Being ready by living as he desires now. Father, we pray that you will help us as we wrestle with this tension of godly caution, prudence, and Godly risk-taking and recklessness. Give us grace to let you work in our lives and to, to trust you in new ways and to understand you in new ways that we might live fully in this tension as you desire and find your blessing and grace through Christ. Amen. Please stand and sing with us.
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.